up internet. I haven't always enjoyed Henry's lovemaking, but it made me feel like a true wife. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I used to walk away from a fight, but not no more. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Mudbound. Let's get muddy. Let's let's get muddy. We <laughs> are going to get muddy in get this episode. Filthy. Filthy uh, in this episode. Now, Shahir, I, I have to admit, when you said uh, you don't always enjoy uh, my, my husband's lovemaking, yeah. I was like, this is kind of like our work relationship. You it don't is. always enjoy right. my lovemaking. No, I don't. No. Uh, well, what I hear of it. Um, <laughs> you, are, you are loud. Yeah, I'm uh, loud. You live a block away, <laughs> and it's always just so passionate. No, it's, um, it's always complaints as well. I am lousy in bed. Wow, okay. terrible. All right, well. Yeah, so, <laughs> so this is the only podcast about the film Mudbound, and Shahir's uh, boudoir time. Yeah, not, not, a, not a lot of fun. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway. Have some pride, man. <laughs> well, this is going off to a this great is, start. Yeah, this is going to a great start. Uh, well, welcome everybody. Uh, thank you for coming back to uh, this lovely program, who, which uh, we we could not do if we didn't get pumped into your ear holes and you uh, you took it. And we're. <laughs> What is happening? I don't know. What is happening? Is it because it's late? I think it is. We're late. both been working. We're, yeah. we're doing this late. Uh, this has been, and this is one of those movies where we didn't have to go to the movies for. Right. We could Maybe just it see. just feels more casual, even though it should not. It should not feel casual. At no, all. not at all. I want to take a second to step aside from the movie just to read out some listener email we got we back. Got and so we, many. Yes, yeah, so many. Uh, so much feedback on our Ladybird and Justice League's episodes. Uh, I want to read this one out from uh, Laura. Who's a who's a regular contributor to the uh, to the only podcast about movies cinematic universe? Yes, love Laura. Thank you, Laura. Um, and I just thought this was a lovely email, and uh, it's a little long, uh, but you'll see why I want to read it. Hey, um, don't fuck it up. <laughs> don't fuck it up. Don't f- I'm not editing it. I'm not editing anything out from this point till you're done reading your email. Okay, thanks for reviewing Lady Bump. Ah, fuck, nah, <laughs> Lady Bump. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do go. it. There you go. Uh, uh, hey guys, thanks for re- reviewing Ladybird. I was eager for an episode on it because of my reaction to it was so personal and emotional, and I'm fascinated with finding other perspectives of it. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it too. It's definitely my favorite movie of the year so far, and my favorite movie-going experience ever. Whoa. And she's going to go on to explain why. I saw this film on its second night at the Toronto International Film Festival because for the second half of this year I've been studying in Canada on exchange. I'm 20 and I still live with my parents back home. She's from Australia. Mm-hmm. So this was a pretty big deal to me. Uh, I've been eager to go ex- explore another country, live on campus, study film at a Canadian university and just generally do my own thing. Side note, I did the same exchange when I was her age. Oh really? Um, yeah. To New- Canada? Uh, not to Canada, to California. Oh. So from New Zealand to Canada, uh, California. Uh, California. So Laura, I know exactly what the experience is like. Uh, it was one of the best years of my college years. So I know you're going to have a great time. Uh, here we go. She talks about, uh, briefly about, uh, you know, going to the Toronto international film fair, seeing hundreds of people lining up on the streets of Toronto to, to see uh, a film that would take months to get back to Australia. Um, and she wanted to see Lady Bird because she's a big fan of Greta Gerwig's film, Francis Ha. Huh. Uh, so she says, so she goes on, I love the way Lady Bird would just pick up and choose who or what she she liked phasing through things with feigned passion that was so true. The friendship was so, so great too. Then Lady Bird moves away and realizes how much she misses home and how actually how she actually likes Sacramento and shows he's, and, and how she sees it um, not as boring anymore. And I was crying like a motherfucker. Oh. Laura was crying, not me. I know I was. You were too. crying. Yeah, yeah. Along with the two Canadian strangers beside me. It was so accurate. It almost felt like the movie was talking directly to me and I did not see it coming at all. I love those experiences when you feel like a movie is just has just been made for you, like right. for the experience that you're yeah, going yeah. through at that time. Uh, and, and this, I mean, as, I mean, just from the, all the stuff I've been hearing about people's sort of experiences by it, this, this movie just does that. The number one rated movie on Rotten it's Tomatoes so of all time. And now. I'm so, I'm so glad it's that. Right. It beat out uh, Toy Story 3, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, so the lights came on and uh, this is Laura again. So the lights came on and I'm left to wipe away my tears and think about my mom and my life, I guess. When the presenter comes back out, she introduces Greta, Tracy and Laurie. And being my first film at the Toronto International Film Festival, I had no idea that this was a normal thing, that the filmmakers would come out. Oh my, she didn't know there was a panel? No, she didn't know. If I hadn't been shocked by a movie speaking directly to me about my life and emotions, then I was shocked now. That's so good. A quick Q&A happened and the presenter says that they have time for one more. And I, Laura, find the courage to put my hand up. Holy shit. Somehow I'm picked. So I say to Greta, 
It was so inspiring and it means a lot to, uh, to see you direct. What women in film inspire you? And this is what she replied. This is what Greta Gerwig replied. I hope that that makes you want to make films and that you already do make films. If that's the case, then I want to see your films. She followed up with a uh, five-minute passionate answer talking about filmmakers, movies, and scenes that she loves. And I remember none of the specifics because I was kind of besides myself. Mm -hmm. So that was my favorite movie experience. I doubt anything will ever top it. That being said, I can't wait to watch this film with my mom when I get back home to have a good cry with her. Uh, Laura, that's, Jesus. A, that's a lovely email. Holy uh, crap. And I think you are, you win the prize for absolutely the best experience of seeing Lady Bird, but also, you know, uh, um, you know, that was some, that was some, that was pardon my terseness or cur- ter- I don't know, but that was some moving shit. That was so beautiful. <laughs> some moving shit. You hit it here first. Um, no, so Laura, nice. that was lovely to, to read. Thank you so much for writing us. Yeah, thank it really you. made us made our week. Um, and, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, we too want to see your films. I think if anything, if that movie makes you want to make films and, and pursue your passion and you're, you're already doing it at film school in Canada, yeah. uh, then, then I think you're, you know, you'll, you will make films worth us seeing. So exactly. we would love to, we would love to have that moment at some point in the future when we can say we've seen Laura's film. If you would ever like <laughs> notes from two blowhards <laughs> that don't actually make films currently, yeah. Uh, then send them our way. I do. I do. I'm writing right now. I have a project. Okay. 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 But, uh, but Lori, yes, we would love to, if, if ever you're in the need of any, uh, assistance, uh, from two blowhards on the internet who know nothing, uh, we know stuff. So now I'm defending it. We know stuff. I just, I am not actively making a film right now. I, I, yes, you are writing one. I'm focusing on television. smell vision I also, uh, so thank you again, Laura. I wanted to uh, read out this email from Maya who said, I want to say thanks. Uh, thank you guys for being my first and only movie podcast I listened to. Hell yeah, Maya. Yeah. The title is correct for once uh, you guys are <laughs> <laughs> you guys are great i discovered you guys a few weeks ago when i was going through last name basis and thought to check you out we were uh, on last names basis's halloween episode it was so spooktacular spook i'm surprised i'm surprised you made it out alive maya and you, matt well we made it out alive because matt was wearing a full guardians of the galaxy i was uh, and i'm looking for the link for the video link of it yeah. uh i gotta find it so you because can see matt in full costume and shahir in no costume, in no costume. <laughs> that's the important part um even, and this is where this is where the penny drops. Here. Okay. Oh. Even though I hated your guys' review of Mother, I hated the film. That's yes. amazing. Side note, and I appreciate that even though you hated our review of Mother, in your email you wrote with respect how Mother is actually presented, lowercase with the exclamation point. So I appreciate that. No, and and we're glad that uh, maybe we could offer a second opinion, or maybe you could change our opinion with your with your sure. thoughts on Mother. Um, I do appreciate your opinions of everything else, especially your Justice League review. I also had similar feelings to your guys' thoughts on Justice League. I remember about 15 minutes into the film <laughs> and just felt like I don't know why I was at the movie theater. Thank God I didn't have to pay for my ticket. I thought this film was so forgettable that I even forgot how Superman died, spoiler alert, and was just sitting in confusion throughout the whole film. I was right there with you, Maya. I completely understand. Same. Um, then she goes on to talk about how much she loved Lady Bird and how much it meant to her. Um, I, she picked up on one or two little things that I thought were really great. Um, one was that she appreciated that so- uh, Sorcerer Ronan had acne and acne scarring in the film and that she felt like a teenager. So yeah. I that it's, a, it's such a small thing, but it ties a lot of this film together and just makes it great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would. Uh, she recommends that we watch this movie side by side with uh, Age of 17 because these are two coming of age films that I saw in the past year that I've loved and really did justice, no pun intended, to <laughs> the main characters in these films and were also directed by women. Uh, I have seen Age of 17. I yep. saw it uh, recently. And, uh, I'll let you check it out. Uh, I wasn't as enamored by it as as I was with Lady Bird. It is very, it's very nice, but I saw it on home video and it felt like a home video-ish kind of movie, but I like there, what he, There's like the overcritical Shahir I know and love. Yeah, You've been you too positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had to just just shit on it a little bit. Just a little bit. No, I did I did like it, but it was a small, <laughs> small film. Uh, we got one more email. We do. Time for one more email uh, from Chris. Chris. Hey, Chris. Chris, whom we both actually know. Yes, 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 but I, this is a, this, I like this email. Uh, <laughs> having seen Justice League this 
weekend, he writes, I wanted to hear what you two had to say about this. I don't know why you would. But, uh, why not? Yeah. As a reluctant, quote, fan of the DCEU, a.k.a. I've seen all of them in theaters since uh, BVS as sort of a weird self-hated slash penance for missing out Bullshit and subsequently not liking the MCU. What? He does say, sorry, man. So apology <laughs> accepted. Uh, although with the Infinity War trailer right now, I don't know if I could actually accept that apology. Uh, talk about that I, was, I was glad to hear that you two reluctantly discussed this bland by the numbers film that has been obviously salvaged from a messy production. Love hearing the show every week. Keep on doing your thing. Uh, P.S. Shahir, you suck. Smiley face. Wavy emoji. <laughs> that was nice. I think it's uh, we I have a thing where I always just insult Chris gently as I walk past him every day in the office. You know, like, wow. hey, Chris. You're an asshole. What? And okay, that's so it's just my way of saying that's hi. That's strikingly you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am the Batman to your Superman in this in this scenario. Uh, I'm super. Oh man. <laughs> I, I, I Maya also pointed out one thing in terms of lazy filmmaking or lazy storytelling, and it reminded me of something we didn't talk about in our Justice League review, which is how Steppenwolf got the cube from the Justice League. Um, you know, like, because there were three cubes, sure. one that they had to steal from Aquaman, one that they had to steal from, uh, Wonder, was it Thermir, 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 where, where does Wonder Woman live? Themyscira. Themyscira. Thank you. And the third one he found in a parking lot because just, well, because the, the humans just buried it. <laughs> they just, and no, I know, no, but they used it to, to, to resurrect Superman uh, yeah. and then they just lifted it in a parking oh, wait, lot. I know how he got it. Wow. On a magic carpet ride. There you go. I like to something. Wow. That was good. That was almost good. I was hoping it was going to go into it. But um, thank you very much for all your emails. Thank you, Laura. Uh, thank if, you, Maya. Thank you, Chris. If you would like to email us like those people, uh, like those wonderful people have, you can do so at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Also, you can hit us up on Twitter as people have been this week uh, at onlymoviepod. Uh, also, please leave us those iTunes reviews. If you are in another country, maybe let us know via email that you've that done. You did it and we'll check it. And we'll check it because we can't see reviews from other countries. No. Uh, also, real quick, shout out to my buddy Ian from my hometown uh, in New Hampshire. I was talking, uh, catching up with him uh, over the the break, and he uh, she, he really likes the podcast, and he says it's one of uh, his favorite uh, things to listen to every week. So, uh, what up, I, Ian? I, and I, thank I, you. I, I don't believe it until I hear it from him. So, Ian, please write us in just so <laughs> I can stroke my ego just a little bit more. No, listen, that was a very uh, like I said, those emails this week really. It really was. Uh, it was a warming. Uh, yeah. I, it made I a felt tough an, week feel a lot better. I felt an experience you hear uh, in my chest. Um, that, so I, it wasn't like Compassion? when my lung collapsed. No, uh, it was. Uh, I don't. Was uh, it beat? Was it like a sort of a? Yeah, yeah. It was almost like there was something in there. And then did it go like a little faster? Go. And yeah, and then I mean, it since stopped. Admittedly, if you went, your friend was it Ian? Yeah, might have something to say. That's right. He is. He is. He is currently becoming a doctor. He might have something to say about that. He'll save my life, damn it. <laughs> um, uh, before we move on to Mudbound, I know you're dying to talk about it. Oh, the Infinity War trailer? I just want to ask one question. Sure. Did you see it? Oh, you no, don't watch trailers? Not. Of course what not. I, I this is going to be the most one-sided conversation. I could tell you anything right no, now. But here's the question to you. Why would you watch the Infinity War trailer? Because it's fucking awesome. But why would you watch it? Like you, You've seen the trailer for this movie in, in the, what, 13 other movies that but, have been building up to this. But now I'm seeing that, to be honest, the, the trailer for something like Infinity War yeah. is all about Honestly, trying to figure using the pieces they show yeah. and trying to come up with fun theories on how how it's going to go down. Right. But aren't you like now, aren't you going to be see this, this is my issue with the reason why I don't want to watch these trailers is that I don't even want to like when a scene happens in a, in infinity war where I don't know, Thanos picks up a stone or something like that. If I've seen that in the trailer and I've seen a punch up happen like the conversation that happens before it is completely deflated of all of its tension because, oh, disagree. I'll, be, because I'll just be going oh well these guys are going to fight in 30 seconds because I've seen it in the trailer well, something even, I, if I, even if this trailer is not revealing a spoiler sure you know what I mean something I like about uh, especially and I've noticed this uh, in the early Marvel trailers for films in the last five or six years the, the first trailer they drop is always my favorite right uh, because they purposely and aptly uh Put scenes out of order mm. and also make one scene look like a character from one scene is looking at another scene. Like there's a scene and I won't say anything to, to right. ruin anything for you, but there's a scene between uh, Loki and Thanos. Right. And it's not 
how it's cut. Like, and you just know that from knowing film. Okay. Uh, but it, it's so nice because I, I see them juxtaposing things and that makes me be like, ooh, I don't but, know. But, so but, here's the, but here's the thing. Ben, when you see what the actual scene is, sure. won't you be like, oh. because no, I know it's not that. Yeah. And I also, and, and there's a specific... I, I'm not disagreeing. Like if if you're, oh, if I'm you saying why I like it. it. Yeah, but but for me, that's the, that's the reason I don't watch it. Is like I don't want to watch the movie. And I get that. And be like, oh, this is where this. And is And that's why happen. I like the first round Marvel trailers the best because it doesn't reveal anything that I feel like would be detrimental to a first time viewing experience. Right. I'm also just a whore for the culture, and I can't not watch them moving forward. Right. Um. But I would be happy, honestly, if this was the trailer and they didn't show anything new. That would uh, be great. I, I think we should have had a wager. Where I'm, I forced you not to watch the trailer. No, which would have been like between now and May. Is that when it's coming yeah, out? Yeah, yeah. And I would have just, I would have been like, would you? I, I think you, I, I, I will wager a hundred dollars on this that you would have enjoyed the experience of going to see the movie much more than than when you watch any trailer. Like, I think the difference though is with these films for me, <laughs> it's not a one time viewing experience. Yes, there is that moment. There is that moment of the first time seeing it and when you realize what's happening and whatnot and whatnot. But I'm going to watch this movie, God, at, at least 10 times. What if it's terrible? Then I'll cry. Look, I don't, and this is the other thing too. I think this is an important caveat, but especially because we just shit on Justice League two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, it has every every opportunity to suck. I think that this is the most dangerous film that they've done because it's so top heavy. And we're going to talk, this actually will tie into Mudbound a little bit because in Mudbound, there are a million, not a million, there are a lot of plates plot wise spinning. Right. And it's masterfully done. Spoiler alert to our review a little bit, but the, but infinity war, holy crap. Like there's, there's too many characters. And, and if they don't, if they don't pull off a Mudbound esque masterful plate spinning, Thing and I, I think the Russo brothers have a good shot at it based mm -hmm. on Civil War uh, and um, and even well a Winter Soldier was kind of more contained but the it's just um man man <laughs> I'm sad I got you I'm now I'm disappointed that I got you started on it because we've moved away from Mudbound it's true but so that's why I like it and uh, I, I I again I've said I don't dis I, I used to enjoy just trailers as well I just think you will you would genuinely have a better yeah, time I don't know. If you didn't watch the trailer and if, if every moment that you saw on the trailer came to you as a genuine, like, I don't know, this is going to happen. And like, I don't know. I don't even know what the sitting is going to be. Then, then there, I think there's was, some, there's some, I can't even say it. I don't want to ruin it for you. Uh, but uh, the end of the day, it is one that I'm worried about. Civil war had the best stakes. I think of any Marvel film and without, and because it was personal yeah. and because this is so big, it's going to be hard to be personal. Uh, but let's talk about something that's, that super is fucking personal yeah. down down to four different narrators yeah well it's interesting. Uh, so we're, talk about, we're talking about mudbound what is the imdb synopsis Ooh, for mudbound? i have it right here i happen to have what a coincidence <laughs> what a coincidence that is two men return home from world war ii to work on a farm in rural mississippi where they struggle to deal with racism and adjusting to life after war uh that's a good summation of the second act <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's true that's true um there's mudbound. a lot that happens before or after mudbound is now currently screening on netflix it was a film i was excited to see on netflix uh based by, on a book by hillary john uh, jordan hillary, hillary jordan. jordan yes uh um and and directed by a director that i've been keeping my eye out on uh for a little while d rees stop uh, going outside of these people's windows i know did. it's really it is terrible yeah. but um she directed a film in 2011 called pariah which i have not seen but uh, i will now uh which is Excellent. It's an excellent film. It's a very small film, very small, intimate New York film, uh, but but very confidently handled. And I think it, it's a film about a young girl discover well finding her sexuality, uh, but in the African American community uh, of of Harlem, um, which may not be as accepting for uh, for sure. you know, queer and tra uh, transgender people. Um, and it's it's just that that could make it the the what I've just described to you could make it sound kind of like a, a movie of the week kind of you know like morality tale or something like this. But it's really confidently handled this hmm. movie and and it's really expertly told and it's and it 
it manages to get intimate in ways without being showy. Okay. Um, so it's really, it is really worth a watch. And that is available on Netflix as well, um, as well as her first documentary. And um, I, I haven't caught up with a film called Bessie, which was a made-for-TV HBO film with Queen Latifah. Um, She's been doing work. Yeah, she has been working. And this is the 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 fruition of some work uh, recently, a film that was acquired by Netflix at Sundance uh, last year uh, for $12.5 million. This is the first point I wanted to make about Mudbound before we got into it. Okay, you're going to talk uh, money, you're going to talk finances? A little bit, because I want to say... My my jaw dropped during this movie. I thought this movie was astonishing, and I and I loved every second of it. Um, uh, it was a film that I I put on very late at night and didn't think I would make it through. <laughs> um, and that's always a nice surprise when you do. Oh, it's it's one of those things where it's like when you're you're halfway through it and you're like, I can't not finish this yeah. movie at this point. You know, yeah. like, it doesn't matter what else I've got to do. I have to get I have to make it through this. Um, so I was astonished. You know, we'll get into my thoughts on the the story and the actual thematic of it, but. The other thing that I was astonished by was when I saw what the budget of this movie was. This is a $10 million movie, mm-hmm. and it feels it feels bigger in scope than Thor Ragnarok, which we saw a couple of weeks ago. It feels bigger in scope than Justice League. It feels bigger in scope than most superhero movies or big budget $150 million movies um, that I've seen. It feels, I, don't, I don't agree with that. But you, scope you is... Can, you can disagree with me in a second. Okay. Let, me, let, me, let okay. me finish what I'm saying here. Uh, it... And the other thing I was astonished by was the length of it. Now, this is a long movie. Yes, and I felt, but it doesn't feel long. I, yeah, and I felt it was long. But oh, then I, I, got, I got to the end, but I don't want that to sound like a pejorative against the film. It felt long because it felt rich, and it felt it felt like there was a lot going on that I wanted to see. And I, and I was kind of like, wow. I felt like I just got the experience that I normally get from a long run TV show in two hours and that so much story turns happens in this film. So much plate spinning. Yeah. Occurs in this movie that when it finished and it was again, it's shorter than Thor Ragnarok, but just for, just for comparison's sake, I was astonished that this movie wasn't three and a half hours long. It was two hours long and it seemed full and dense and rich. And that's the word. I don't want to say like it felt long. It felt rich sure. and, and textured and it felt full full. And I, so when I say it's long, it's, it's long in a way that is really, really positive, despite being shorter than a lot of movies. Uh, What was the word, excuse me, what was the word you used before rich? The word I disagreed with. Uh, you felt that it was uh, just uh, bigger the scope, the, the scope. scope. I thought the scope of this was enormous but and I define, felt, define scope for me or what you're using the word scope for scope in terms of storytelling. Like it is a big story. It goes a lot of places. It follows a number of characters, uh, but this you're, is the thing. I think you're thinking of the word scope in terms of like countries or, or, or sure. I, I mean, locations, uh, yeah. the, I, I don't, I think it's, it's a deeper film with more, n- far more nuanced characters than you're than a superhero <laughs> film. Uh, the, I, I think scope to me like that. So, so I, I don't want to get into too many spoilers about what, where it sort of happens, but it takes place over the course of, I think maybe like maybe over like a little less than 10 years, yeah. uh, before, during and after world war two. Mm-hmm. And, um, but like scope wise, it, it from what I the, d- sort of determined the, for the word would to be would be like uh, it, it takes place on like a farm and, and in two Germ- and it, but like and it goes to Germany and it goes to Germany goes to the war two different settings in the war which is just one in the air and one in the streets during yeah. a tank battle uh, and then it's just a farm so like I don't but this is the thing it is <clears throat> I believe I I hundred percent agree with the word rich yeah I hundred percent agree with uh, the the depth well, what does and, scope mean to you scope to me means um like locations okay, uh like for instance Dunkirk has right. a huge scope even though the locations Wait, but, are minimal yeah, because but, because the 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 it feels. I, Wait, I think, no, I hang think, on. I think you, I think you're misrepresenting the word scope here because because Dunkirk is both a are, small, intimate full, uh, film, but it feels expansive and large due to honestly the way it's shot. Uh, maybe, maybe let's try to have a different thing that I think has Lord of the Rings has a huge scope. I think Lord of the Rings has 
a number of locations. I, I think that's what you're you're getting hung up on is kind the word of. locations. Well, I, I mean, scope to me because seems, because because the the way you're using scope, the, the word scope actually comes from looking through a looking glass. Like that that's what you're sort of doing. Right. You're looking far away. Right. Uh, that's what I take it sort of as. Anyway, this is semantical, and we don't need to bore people with it. Uh, but, no, I but I agree. I agree with everything what you're saying. Yeah. I just don't agree with the word scope. I agree with uh, richness and depth and uh, and and, I, and tons of characters guess, coming together. In, in an so, enjoyable way. So the other, you know, like, uh, and and the other film that I kind of wanted to bring up uh, in relation to this because it, it has to do with that comment that you made about um, uh, multiple characters and plate spinning. Was this really unusual thing that it does, which uh, you know, admittedly might throw you off, which is that it starts off with narrations from from multiple characters. Love it. And and you know, like in classic screenwriting textbooks, they'll tell you that's a bad thing to do even some of the greatest films sure. you know like goodfellas and casino kind of have that what it does though that's really fascinating is it gives the eventual conclusion of this film it gives every character a real stake in those in mm -hmm. that conclusion because we understand exactly where everyone is coming from it's not as though we're jumping into this world and seeing all these multiple characters uh different point of views and that they're they're kind of all saying the same thing they're actually all approaching the same story from entirely different points. Like and because it's so personal, it's a little bit of an unreliable narrator sort of experience. Not it's because it's not it's how not is it unreliable. Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a very positive way. It is unreliable uh, because a narrator. Okay, so you're normally told a story if there's a narrator from that like that one narrator's point of view, and it's normally what they're saying is either happening or about to happen or going to happen, and it's not necessarily. Uh, emo emotionally driven or stuff like that. This uh, is four different perspectives that are saying exactly how characters are feeling as opposed to sort of like telling you what's going on. In fact, uh, Dee Rees was saying in an interview uh, that she, the thing she fell in love with, with the book first was the richness of the inner monologues of the characters. And that's why she wanted to sort of do it this way. And she knew that that richness would, um, would not necessarily uh, wouldn't would not serve the normal narration sort of track of why you do narration mm -hmm. uh, as, but instead would be more of a, an inner workings into four different characters minds that would never really like the way they see the world is definitely not the same. Now I'm yeah, the word I'm going to like get hung up on here with you is unreliable well, narrator. But like, it, it, that, that, I mean, you've heard the term before. Of course I've heard, yeah. I've heard the term. She, I mean, she D, D even D even called it that but in, in the, her interview. The way I use the term or know the term is uh, say in the context of Tyler Durden in fight club, who's sure. telling you one thing that, that isn't the truth and leading you down a path that he eventually undermines. I don't think that term applies in this case, or maybe you can change my mind. About well, it. I mean, I think the only way I can change your mind about it is she literally said that she, she might've said uh, that, but why do you agree with that? Because it's not. So a narrator for, let's try to think of another film with a narrator. Uh, Goodfellas. Sure. So you're always from Ray Liotta's perspective, right? No. Uh, there are uh, other people who have narration in that film. Oh, well, then that's the same thing as this then. Yeah. Uh, but, but going, narration, narration just, is the, supposed the, the to be The term a unreliable narrator has a very specific meaning in, in film, in the film language, which is an unreliable narrator is someone who is telling you something, who's giving you information that is false, purposely false, or purposely trying to deceive the audience through their narration. I don't think it's actually, I don't think it's purposely false. It's false. Right. But, and it's only false in these cases because they are coming from everyone's own perspectives of how they see how the is world. It false? Because not, not, nothing, no one way one person sees the world is true. Okay, but that so you're kind of describing like a Rashomon kind of view, but but they're all telling the truth, right? They're all they're telling, their, telling truth. their own truth, but right. we are not them. We are experiencing their thoughts outside of their thoughts, right? But, it's 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 when when you have then, when you have more than one narrator in a story, yeah. and I I get there's a, there's a type we're talking about too, where it's like there's one narrator that's purposely lying to you to trick you. It's it's kind of like either well, did Wolf of Wall Street do it, or did even American Made do it? Oh, yeah, American that. Made kind of did it because he had the tapes. I didn't see American Made. Oh yeah, oh yeah, there. you you ducked out on that yeah. one. Um, it's uh, it's it's because it's four different perspectives. That's how I see it. Because none of them are true. They're all their own internal way they see the world. And I think a very important aspect of this movie is uh, the differences in how everyone 
experiences the same world around them and particularly this farm. Right. Uh, so again, but I, yeah, I guess, I guess the only thing there is that if you were describing as Rashomon, for example, the Akira Kurosawa film, where, sure. where every, they're talking about one event and everyone, every character sees that event in a very different way so that they all kind of see a different truth. I could maybe lean towards that, but I don't think that's unreliable. They do, and I, I wish I wish I could actually just pull <laughs> quotes sort of through through this because, but like they all speak very poetically in yeah. their own minds. But so I all think they're all speaking the truth, and they're not speaking about single events from different points of view. They're speaking about their worldview and how they view this one place that right. they sort of go to or end up at. I don't mean to pick on you on that, but that term unreliable na- narrator is a very specific term. And sure. I don't- and I, I'm going off of A, I thought it when I was watching it. B, she actually said it in this interview I watched. So I was like, okay, cool. Uh, and I, I get maybe she and I are both using it wrong but I, I, but, I also, but i also get, what, I also get i also get the uh, what well, just said uh i that's just sort of uh what i use and and, and maybe from a dictionary standpoint that is not correct but uh <laughs> so, I, that is why so matt what did you think of the film overall i think it was pretty damn good uh it's it's um it's hard for me to watch that's not that's not exactly true. I was gonna say it's hard for me to watch like uh, intrinsically like film I know is going to be very sad just at my house alone by myself. Yeah. Uh, it depends. Uh, this one I knew nothing going in. I didn't see the trailer for it beforehand, which was and so was it a was it a pleasant experience? That yeah, way? but I but I don't think if I'd seen the trailer, it would have changed much uh, for me. Um, the the acting. And sort of the way the characters are presented in this film, particularly, uh, I really loved uh, Jason Michael, Kerry Mulligan, and uh, of course, uh, MJB. Uh, yeah, Mary, Mary, uh, Mary J. J. Blige, Blige kills it so much. In fact, she killed it so much, I didn't realize it was Mary J. Blige until the very end. I, I have to admit, I did, I did not realize that as well. It, that's how you know you're acting. <laughs> Um, well, it's just also she hasn't been in the public spotlight for a No, while, but so. yeah, you know what Mary J. Blige looks like. <laughs> uh, it, 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 I love I love character pieces and I love the way this movie portrayed and that's so funny it's funny because you use the word scope I don't want to go back to it too much but like I thought that it was so lovely how it, for the most part 80% of this film takes place on that farm or in that little town mm-hmm. uh, it's and every one of these four characters experiences on this f- plot of land is completely different and you know exactly why they're thinking what. And that's so fucking cool that like you, you, you understood as much as a film can make you understand everyone's sort of positioning and feelings and, and emotions. And it brought you the, the way and it might've been how it was shot. I noticed a lot of different, um, Rachel Morrison who shot the film, by the way, yeah. does an extraordinary job. She, with this film. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous it's, movie. It's beautiful. This thing was planned in five weeks and shot over 29 days. Uh, this is the other thing, you know, like again, with that budget, I can't believe that this film yeah, looks and feels the way it does. Uh, it, it, uh, something that, that I think that can speak to, um, I hate that I'm just sort of recounting an interview that I heard from her, but something that D said was she doesn't do, um, she doesn't do standard rehearsals. Right. Uh, she does things where she puts two actors in a position and has them say certain things back and forth to get them uh, uncomfortable or comfortable. For instance, the use of the N word. Yeah. Because uh, she noticed certain actors sort of would even like for a millisecond sort of wince when they say it. And they needed, for instance, uh, good old Mike Eisentrout. Uh, uh, Banks. Yeah. Uh, that the, they needed him to like say it. Yeah. Say it without any hesitation. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I found that technique interesting. God, her whole D's whole story is so fascinating to me she worked for Procter and Gamble right. and then she just like went on a on a commercial shoot or something <laughs> and then she went and asked the PA what everything was and then she's like how do I go to film school and then told her about new school so she quit and like got a different job and went to new school and they just started making movies and I'm like fuck yeah D well, like, it's, it's extraordinary because she's got such a command of the cinematic yeah. language that it's like I can't believe she wasn't born to do this so good well she was yeah. it's just uh, 
it took, she took it, a detour. Yeah, yeah. it took a detour. Took the Procter and Gamble detour. Yeah, don't we all? <laughs> um, yeah, I loved it. I, I, um, and we'll sort of get into the minutia of it. Why, uh, I guess, as we go through. But what about you? I mean, you already said you loved. Well, it. I loved, I loved the 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 sort of just just disco- I guess discovering this film and feeling like this film is. So I'm going to use that word again. So large in scope, despite being so small in production finances, uh, was extraordinary to me. And then Can we say emotional scope. Well, I think maybe maybe one word that you're kind of thinking about is time as well. You know, scope in terms of time. There's a lot of events that in happen. temporal and emotional mm-hmm. scope. No, I'm just going to use scope. Ugh, <laughs> um, it's wrong. Um, and and you know, so it was incredible just to discover. It. But I also like it, you know, there uh, I, I come back to this uh, this this book a lot. And you know, like you can call me pr- pretentious uh, film school guy or pretentious uh, college guy because in Lady Bird, there's a character reading this book, and he is the obnoxious guy. And I was like, ooh, that's me. <laughs> I've, I've even brought that book onto this podcast and, uh, for our Birth of a Nation episode. But that is uh, Howard Zinn's The People's History versus uh, The People's History of the United States. And and there's a chapter in The People's History of the United States talking about the way in which minority groups are created essentially in order to control poverty. And that's, and that's this, this, this sort of idea that we haven't, that we don't quite fully explore, you know, um, in classical historical studies or, uh, is, is this idea that, that, well, who writes classical historical studies? You hear Howard Zinn. <laughs> you no, know, but like the normally textbook stuff that is brought. To, it's it's the people that are doing the right who are doing who are doing who are doing the bad things. Yeah. They don't normally write about the bad things. Well, and that's why the people's history is such an important work of uh, of of historic of of history. Um, and, and, and so I don't I don't think you're a douchey film school guy for reading that book or having that book. I just, I, I just, I just think it's used as a shortcut in film to say, oh, this guy's a douche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 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 you know, like. Like this idea that basically what's extraordinary about this film is that it's about poor people yep. and it's about the way in which race is used in poverty to divide people who should actually be working in tandem. Yeah. Um, you know, they're basically in this film, um, the McCallans and the Jacksons live on the same f- uh, piece of land. The Jacksons are renting from the McCallans. The McCallans are Jason Clark, Carrie Mulligan, and the Jacksons are, um, uh, Jason Mitchell and Mary J. Uh, uh, sorry. Um, uh, Rob, Rob Morgan and Mary J. Blige, uh, Hap Jackson and uh, Florence. Mm-hmm. Um, and they should be operating in tandem, but they're not because of their perceived racial differences and because of the historical poverty that is. But then being, they are even with their, in, in wrong ways. But, 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 but completely imbalanced, you know. Like oh, yeah, 100%. The, 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 it, 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 and, and this is the extraordinary thing about this film. And, it's, and I don't want to do this thing that I'm about to do, but oh, I'm going to do oh, this no. thing. Just I'm, keep your pants on. <laughs> but I'm going to do this thing. Because these analogies, when they come up, are weird. I don't like saying that this is an extraordinary film that offers a lot because it's directed by a woman. Because I think, in many ways, I think that's reductive. It's an extraordinary film because it's directed by an extraordinary director. Um, it's made by an extraordinary filmmaker who is a voice that we should champion. I think in a perfect world, it's reductive. Yeah. I think at the world we live in, it's important. It's important to note that that the the way in which tiny observations are made in this film about the the way in which race play the the way in which race basically reduces an entire people out of privacy and out of out of the the perceived benefits of being a freedom loving country of America. The, there's a sense here in this film like and you see this is the thing, the observation I want to make is the idea that that uh Hap and Florence are sitting around to have dinner with their family and they're continually interrupted by, uh, by, by Henry, uh, Jason Clark's character with complete disregard for their time. Yeah. He, you know, like he just walks in kind of says what he wants to say, makes demands on their family, tells them what he wants them to do. You know, like he even arrives that way. Like he, ba- he basically, yep. he, he, he got it. swindled. He got swindled out of yeah. the nice farmhouse. Yeah. He got he's swindled. a dummy. He got swindled out of his nice farmhouse. So he has to live on the farm now, but he just, he just waltzes into, to, um, perhaps, uh, to haps, you know, dinnertime routine uh, you know, where they where they actually get a moment. And he, and I think he even, he even kind of does that when 
later in the film, spoiler, when Hap gets injured, he has complete disregard for that injury. Yeah. Which is, which, and well, he has and, a complete disregard for everyone else but him in the entire film, too. He, 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 has, he has a problem with women in the same regard yeah. because he doesn't even tell his wife that they're doing that or that his father's moving with them. Yeah, exactly. He has complete disregard for that. And I think, so I, I, I want to, I don't want to say that that's because D. Rees is a, is a, black female filmmaker. I want to say that's because she's an extraordinary filmmaker who gets to the heart of what is, what is wrong, what is created, what are the imbalances in this situation? I think I, this is, I think I have a perfect sort of caveat for this and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the, I do think it's important to say that she's an African-American woman director who did this because of the world that we live in, like I said, but something that proves your point that it is sort of just circumstantial and should not be like the reason you see, you know, like that sort of thing is the following. Uh, uh, the way she portrayed men, because mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm going to go off of the way that she portrayed straight white men. Yeah. Okay. Was some of the best portrayals <laughs> of straight white men I've ever seen. <laughs> right. And because of that, and, and because of all of it, but do you know what I mean? Like that's something that she is not. That's why. She did everyone perfectly, yeah. And and things that are in her wheelhouse, things that are to the side of her wheelhouse, things that are out of her wheelhouse, because she's a brilliant director. And I think the, the that amongst all the different uh, multitude of technical as- aspects of this film and how she pulled this off from a budgetary thing and everything is is so masterful that you can't deny that. And it would it, it is important to say that she is just a masterful director. Yeah. But again. I'm I'm flip flopping back for more than my own point. It's just it's because of this fucking world we live in that it it's, is it's important. potentially true. But I think I think that uh, you know what the reason the thing that you're mentioning is that is is something I brought up at the beginning, which is that the the voiceover allows you into the story intimately from everyone's perspective, and it it gives you a real sense of stakes uh, for for every character. So so that the thing about this movie is, and and I think we could get into this as well, is that I think this is entirely an Oscar worthy film. And, and and I tweeted as as soon as, as soon as I saw the film, I said, I think I tweeted that I think Netflix has, has got their first bit, their first best picture nominee. Did the Academy get back to you? They did. They said, shut up, shut up, Shahir, stop tweeting at us. We don't, we've, did they say you're not, you're you're not, you're you're not not welcome and you never will. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's what they said. Uh, fucking my, Oscars. I cried myself to sleep. No, um, we're going to start our own. We're going to start our own Oscars. Oscars. The Topam Oscars. <laughs> Except we're going to go crazy with them. Go to the Toe Jam Oscars. Oh, anyway, no. Yeah, what the? I took it one step too far. Okay. Didn't I? Yeah. Um, the way in which she and her screenwriter, Virgil Williams, craft this, this narrative could be, you could say that this film, you, you see where everything is going, especially the character of Pappy played by, um, Played by uh, Breaking Bad himself, yeah. um, uh, it, it it feels like you know exactly where this film is going, but but even if you do, every moment is still rich and full, and when the turns come, they're completely earned. So it, it's it's you know like it's almost like watching a chess game get played out perfectly, sure. and knowing exactly how this game is going to get played, but marveling at how beautifully it was played. And that's what this film is. It is a beautifully executed story yeah. that we know we kind of know the direction it's going to go. It, there are surprises to be had in it sure. undoubtedly. But it's 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 just kind of a there's a wonderment to watching something executed so perfectly. And yeah. and I and and I think that's why I was astonished by by this film. And, and I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was yeah. uh when I when I started up on on Netflix. And not that's not a diss to Netflix by any means of the imagination, but like I just wasn't expecting how powerful the story was going to be and how how engrossing it was and how and how Oscar worthy it was. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of performances that I think that are really uh, in particular, uh, Rob Morgan, Jason Michael, and Mary, uh, Mary J. Blige. Yeah, and uh, Mary J. Blige uh, and Garrett uh, Helland. Garrett Helland yeah. from uh, Tron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is so weird. Yeah, um, he's been kicking around for a while. You know, like he has got the kind of, um, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but boring white man kind of, you know, like trait. Yeah. But but in this film, it's something really interesting, and it, and it's and it's this this realization that he has that his his privilege means something. Yeah. Um, it's an extraordinary, you know, God, there's a scene, I guess we're in spoilers. Yeah. Um, 
the reason so when they both come back from the basically we haven't sort of even said this yet but the two so the brother of the the Ronzel yeah, and so uh, Ronzel uh, who is the son of Hap yeah. and Florence uh, and also uh, Jamie, who is the brother of Henry. Yeah. Uh, both go off to war. Jamie is a bomber yeah. Uh, pilot. Yeah. And, uh, or he might actually be the guy who drops. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know planes. Pilot. Yeah. Uh, and then um, uh, Ronzel was a tank driver. Yeah. Uh, and they both have sort of similar awful experiences in that regard before they come home, watching a lot of their friends die. Uh, but, and then when they come back, uh, Jamie is super nice to, uh, to Ronzel, way nicer than anybody else is sort of on the, uh, on the farm. And, um, the, the sort of, uh, I guess you'd say Jamie's cultural awakening happened when both his gunner and his co-pilot were blown away in front of him, and he was saved from being shot out of the sky by the Germans by a red tail. Was it a red? So is that the Tus- Tuskegee Airmen? That, yeah. that, they are yeah. the red tails. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I wasn't. And, and I, when I saw that, I, here I shit you not, <laughs> I literally was like, "Holy!" I yelled, "Holy fuck!" in my apartment, yeah. and I was like, "That is so." fucking cool and zoe looked up at me my cat was like i don't speak english um and it was one of those moments where it's it's so interesting you see a character who i don't think was overtly he's probably wasn't overtly uh woke or or he wasn't overtly unwoke before but he still wasn't yeah uh and and to have that moment uh that just sort of shakes you out of your uh complacency yeah uh, really uh, have it be such a visceral thing. And I love the like minor historical tie-in. I, th- this, this is my kind of war movie. Right. Because this uses war as a catalyst and not as the spectacle. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, and, a, that's and an extraordinary I thing, right? love that. And it, it's funny because you could argue that 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 the the limitations of budget make the war not the spectacle. Yeah. But it actually feels like, no, this is exactly this the is exactly right what choice. This yeah. is exactly what you need to see of the war in order to understand what's going to happen. I don't want to see characters. the fucking battles. I want to see what happens to these guys. Like, yeah. I want to see the as close as I can get to these men yeah. uh, and see what, the, what actually and, happens. And the war is not important other than than it gives but the, it's it's the stage of the war that's important and how the men interact with it for instance ronzel is treated as more of an, an american and, and as a full a full american citizen in germany yeah after the war is complete even during the war but then when he comes home the sad the sad part about that is i've i have african-american friends that have traveled overseas who say that is true today you know like when they go to europe they're not they they're suddenly confronted with this notion that they're not an african-american they're just an american yeah. and it's and it's this strange experience where they're like they're treated as an american and it's and it's something that they don't get treated here and so to have the film echo that um was kind of extraordinary the, the other film that uh, that reminded me of was the hughes brothers film dead presidents mm. um which talked about uh, vietnam veterans returning home but i think ron zell's story in this film Whew. is just heartbreaking. And it's, it's it, the, the, the amazing thing is that's the heart of the film, but he's not the main character in the film. You know, he is one among many central players <sighs> in this film. Yeah. And, and I mean, the movie sets you up as if, um, Laura, yeah, as, as, Laura, be the main yeah, character, as, as if Laura's not. story is going to be really important in this, but she's—it's not. Um, I'd be curious what what the what the what the pie chart percentage of the novel is. Right, I haven't read the novel yeah, at this stage, but I, but I'm actually eager to read the novel after after seeing this. And the other thing was, I you know, like I'm, I'm coming back to that term richness that I was thinking about before, is that it feels novelistic. You know, it feels. I think the narration has a lot to do with that. Yeah, it feels very rich, like a and novel. And plate spinning. And plate spinning because because novels can plate spin. Uh, Well, novels can take enormous detours, as this film does, you know, like enormous detours. And that, you know, like, I I think the thing that I, you know, what I really loved about this as well, and I loved many things about this film, was that the the side conversations, you know, between, for example, Ronzel and um, and Jamie, you, you could argue that those were just kind of like getting you in the direction of where this plot needs to go, but they don't ever feel rushed. They don't ever feel like they're hurried. They just they don't feel trite. They feel like two guys having yeah. a conversation. And it just happens that, that the, the, the consequences of that conversation will lead to unfortunate events. Yeah. And, but, but none of those conversations feel unearned, you know, like they feel like real, interesting conversations and they're written from a place of these two characters having what's cool about it 
is is that it feels like these two characters don't know what's going to happen to them by having this conversation. So they're just having a conversation. Sure. Um, you know, whereas in a lot of films or a lot of, you know, in a, in a bad example of this, the, the they would be talking about how they can't be together. Yeah. You know, how they can't hang out. An awful script would be like, we should be, we yeah. shouldn't be doing this. You know, oh, I don't be, care. Yeah. We, you know, my daddy's going to find out about this. They, but, but it's not that because they have no, they have no frame of reference for that. So it's just, it's just two guys having a conversation. And, and I love, you know, like even Mary J. Bl- the the reason why I could uh, you could argue that Carrie Mulligan's character doesn't even need to be in this film. She could literally be um, uh, a side character whom you just see once or twice. But because sh- we see her um, having to cope with like like being uplifted from her world into this new world, and I think you know some of her narration even says it. I suddenly learned how to like you know skin a chicken and yeah. cook it, and you know like I knew learned how to clean stuff. When she suddenly has to. To to you know when Florence comes through and and is offered to to help to assist her, she there's a kind of a kinship between these two women, even though it is completely unbalanced again. And you know Florence talks about the fact that she's helping the white woman's children because it's a it's an act of like um, it's saving her own children. She knows if she says no, her life will become miserable sure. and her children's life will become miserable. But so by taking this position, uh, eventually in the film, she takes a role as to, to be a nanny or a support, but, but she does it from the, we, we kind of get the full breadth of her thinking and her conflict about whether she should take that. She doesn't want to take it. She knows that yeah. her husband Hap doesn't want her to work there, but he's hurt. Uh, but he's hurt and, and Hap doesn't want, and then, you know, we, we understand exactly why Hap is conflicted about this because we he's know like you're going to take the time to take care of her children and not take care of your own children. And then she kind of fires back with actually it's exactly to take care of my own children. Exactly. It is. And it's also like Hap has this dream of owning his own land and he wants to, you know, he wants to have purchase and agency. And he knows that essentially if they get sucked up into the world of just helping the McAllens, you know, they will lose everything that they've earned. And and their life is so much more fragile. Where if you know, like, I mean, it's it's not to say if Jason, you know, if uh, if Henry McCallum didn't get hurt, they would be in jeopardy. Yeah. But but Hap getting hurt, you know, means that they might not make the harvest this year, and it could mean the entire downfall of their family. Sure. Uh, we've been singing a lot of praises. Yeah. About this movie, I have two small gripes. If okay. we want to just just to just to spice it up. Okay. Uh, one, uh, there's a third family, which apparently is more prominent in the book that you only see very briefly. Uh, just enough, I thought. <laughs> uh, well, I, I um, I I think it's a, it's a poorer white family. Yeah. Uh, who I, uh, who also works for uh, works for yeah yeah. Um, I felt like it wasn't, it was a little bit to help Laura's storyline more than anything, but I, uh, it felt a bit perfunctory. It felt like you should either cut them or do something a little more with them to me. Again, this movie's so full. I don't need more. I just, I was like, uh, I think I, I, I don't disagree with you. I don't, it was I the only fat on this film, but I, but the thing is, again, it's done so well that I didn't feel it was fat. But there's you know so I mean? much, but this, this is the interesting thing about fat. Fat's delicious. Yeah. Uh, but I, I already have a, a full, I have more than enough for a seven course meal I, right now. Here's the thing. I wouldn't cut that. I wouldn't cut their scenes. I, I think their scenes add to the tapestry I, of this film. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I could have done without them. Right. Uh, I, I even, wasn't, even, when I was even watching, the reveal of what, uh, of happens of, to the woman. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it just didn't. Okay, cool. I, I didn't, that wasn't, that wasn't a, a, Laura's character for being the first character we're sort of introduced to was the one I was involved with the least as the story progressed. Right. So her feelings about that particular thing, which didn't really have much to do with what was then by the second half of this film, really the main plot line. I was like, Oh, think about, think about this though. Basically there are two, uh, so, so, uh, the McCallans are kind of the master of their domains. They, they sure. own the farm. Um, and there are two poor families that live yep. there. Well, both, uh, one of which gets fired. This is the woman that we're talking about yep. in this film. Um, and she, uh, the, the, that woman, Lucy, uh, uh, Vera Atwood, uh, played by Lucy Faust, um, comes to, uh, Laura 
and to plead her case because she knows that she can influence um, Henry's decision by talking to Laura. Sure. That's not a privilege that Florence has. In fact, Florence gets into the same position through no no fault of her own. Sure. And and Laura has to like go behind her husband's back in order to in order to do the same thing. Like but, she has but, to but steal here's, money. Here's the weird part. She, uh, you said that this this woman knows that she can manipulate Laura. No, not manipulate, but she knows or that she, she can, can. She knows she's because she's white. She can go and have that conversation. But here's the deal with that conversation. It gets her nowhere. So technically she, she was but wrong. But they stay on the farm. No, they don't. Yes, they do. They stay on the farm. Which they, she only dies, they only end up leaving the farm because she kills her husband because he's been molesting their daughter. Yeah, but, so, that, but, that, but they're but not on the farm anymore. They are on the farm. He, he, no, see, here's he, the thing. He kicked he, him out. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Henry hold on, hold fired on. her and, got, and said, you're out of the farm. Yeah. But then they stayed because, no, no, because no, she, because no, she no, went no, and pleaded with the no. No. Where are what they? happens is they're they're still on the land. He's not working for them anymore. He's not making money anymore by the thing. He fired him off the farm, which is another reason why he was pushing more for Hap to keep working and having his family work because he fired another hand because he was fucking useless. They were still on the property, but or maybe they weren't even maybe no, they because were off I thought, the property. Because I thought the thing was Henry said, You can't kick me out. Uh, Henry tells uh, her husband, You can't kick me out. I've got nowhere else to go. I've got another child coming. So I think they were still on the like, they Why weren't, would they stay? But they but they, Why would I they think, stay if they weren't working well, yeah, on the well, farm? Then this is my, this sort of further proves my point. It is not clear where they are at that point. They never they never have the moment, for instance, that we have when Laura helps out uh, mm-hmm. uh, Florence. We never get that moment of clarity that she actually did anything. Uh, we we actually don't even find out really what happened. Is Are they still on the farm? Is he working? Is he not working? Are they gone and sort of off the thing and then the wife keeps coming back because she's trying to talk her into it? We don't find that shit really out. It's not specific and I feel like it was just a little bit perfunctory. If you're going to go down that road, go down the road. Don't don't and, and give it a little more meat. But I honestly think that this movie is so chock full of things that because this is given the least amount of time. And I think I think from what I understand of the book, all three families have a bit of a bigger chunk. Right. And this is the one that had to go a little bit to make room for everything else. I'm glad it went this way. I'm just saying and I, I you're, it, it's just how I feel about it. It yeah, just yeah. felt a little bit either either go down it and make it a little longer or get rid of it. I, I don't think it needs to be got rid of it. And I think uh, for me, the, the presumption is because they're still on the farm and she's still there that they didn't leave because why would they stay if they weren't working on the they're farm? squatting or they moved they or they moved off the land, but they're still in town they've, or they're homeless. What if they're homeless off the thing? We're never told. They, uh, so that that's my point. Right. And I, I would just, I would infer because they're still there, but we never see them. We never see that, them on the, the wife, the woman who keeps coming and asking for help wanders back, but she doesn't, we don't know where they are. Like it's not clear. So I'm just saying if they want, I, to I can do agree it, with the point yeah. that it's not clear. Sure. I would just go. You inferred what? a thing. I inferred a thing. It's mm. not clear. Right. My second thing that I have a problem with, and this is a pure me thing. This should not be a, a, a thing for anybody else, but the church scenes. Okay. Uh, they're building a church, I guess, on the land or in the town or, or, or something happened is, or it, it might also be, uh, it might it's just also, never finished. It's like open as a half roof. It might, it might just be an open church cause it's hot. I don't know. No, but as the movie goes on, it gets further and further built. Does it? Yeah. A little bit, not by much, but it does. It changes. I, anyway, I, I thought it was an open there was a church. choice, uh, a technical choice, mm-hmm. uh, to have the audio of everyone in that church speaking or singing sound very echoey um as if it was in a finished big echoey church and it wasn't it was a small unfinished church uh i get the reasoning behind it they were supposed to be sort of giving the power of the location and their feelings and all that stuff and i get it but for whatever reason uh because i'm not a church going person i believe uh the technical aspect of it instantly i just sort of the only time of the entire movie that took me out of the entire plot was uh, I was like, oh, that's not what that space would sound like. And that and again, it's just I, 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 I'm going to just say that's that's a, I'll chalk that up to just you on that. Yeah, one. it is. Because no, no, I, no. I didn't even I didn't even notice. Yeah, yeah. no, no. And maybe it's audio. because I've been working a lot with sound lately uh, or something. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, it's probably a combination of being an atheist and also uh, working a lot with sound. But again, I, I remember, these two. Oh, yeah. sorry. I remember uh, sitting in, uh, it was uh, Frost Nixon with a, with a colorist, a professional colorist who worked. Uh, oh, could he on, not enjoy it? Uh, who worked on very, very big films. And he was like, the color timing in this movie is awful. And I was like, are you not watching this film? Because I just adored that movie. Um, so, you know, like, obviously it's whatever you're working in sometimes, sure. you know, kind of get. But again, I, these two, are, these two things, I know we just talked for 10 minutes about them. I, they are not, they are not. 
this will kind of go into my final thoughts. They are not. A, a, I was literally looking to just change the pace of the conversation. Right. This, this film is wonderful. And anyone who with a Netflix account should watch it. Anyone who doesn't have a Netflix account, this is worth your price of admission to get a Netflix account. I mean, we, we, we're cheating in this respect because we both have projectors in our homes so we can watch this on a bigger screen. Sure. And this is a film that deserves to be seen on I, I can't stress enough Rachel Morrison who shot this film it's real pretty does the most extraordinary job with this film it look every and frame pretty might be the wrong word it's 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 visually effective and moving oh it's just it's it's a beautiful looking yeah. movie and it and it, it it just it looks extraordinary and it look you know like we we've been to, we talked a lot about Blade Runner this year Roger Deakins one of the greatest cinematographers alive and how visually for me Blade Runner didn't quite do much. I mean, it's 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 grand and it's extraordinary, but in but, scope. Yeah, no, no, just just generally. And but it, but but in this case, this was a film where I was struck by how beautiful the cinematography was and how well executed it was. The other thing is, and from a story perspective, there's so much of the like. I mean, the example I could think of just is like the different sort of moments where people are in power and aren't in power. The way the shots were done were done very deliberately. And very- yeah, and and to that point, I think there's nothing showy about what she does, no. but everything she does is masterful. It's all stuff that will affect you, and you don't realize it'll affect you. Yeah, it's 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 the it's the thing that I I have a real fear of. Um, you know, with my work in particular. I mean, you know, if we're going to talk about our own work, I mean, I, when wouldn't you? Yeah. When wouldn't I? But I feel, you know, like I have that, that first director anxiety, which is like, which is that I always feel I need to prove that I've directed the film nah. by doing something that's like visually unusual or, or doing something that, you know, like that, that calls attention to itself. I think that comes from sort of your VFX slash cinematographer side. I don't yeah. think that comes from, but yeah. it is, no, but it is, you know, like it is this sort of like, I want to, in everything I make, I always want to have like one moment that's like, Hey, there's a signature moment where you knew, Hey, that guy directed something. And what, what's, what this is a masterclass in Laura, we're going to go back to your email. If you have watched Mudbound, what this is a masterclass in is directing effective storytelling. This is, this is absolutely Agreed. wonderful storytelling where the direction is, is, is almost like this invisible hand. It is, it is completely, um, this movie is shaped by its director, by its direction and the performances are shaped by it and the cinematography is shaped by it, but it's not, it doesn't, it never calls attention to itself other than for people who break down films like us to, to call attention to how masterfully done it was. Agreed. Uh, this is, this is simply tremendous work. I can't wait till she, uh, till D directs the next think, James Bond movie. Yeah. That's what's going to happen now. I mean, look, I would love her to get, um, this is the, this is that thing where you want your filmmakers you to be love, successful. You, you want them to be successful and you want them to, to have an easy time making movies. You want it to be like pleasurable and easy and for them to like reap the rewards of their own success. So we want them to make a lot of money. We want them to like, you know, um, you know, not have to like struggle and scrape and be able to pay their rent and just concentrate on their work. But <laughs> in the, but seeing, suffering builds character. I mean, again, just seeing what she did with $10 million for this film um, makes me go, this is a filmmaker that I think what I want to see, what I, what I think I would see if I saw a hundred million dollar film from her, it would be like no other, it would be like seeing Mad Max Fury Road, you know, where that budget got so is so much on screen where you're like, they're not wasting a single right. dollar. And and that's what I want to see is I don't want to see her like getting a hundred million dollars to make a, a vapid film. I want to see her getting a hundred million dollars to make a film with a, mm-hmm. with a caveat of, um, I want to see her with a hundred million dollars that she has full control over. Yeah. And I want to see her like fully, fully, um, uh, you know, give me a hundred million dollar film that nobody else could do it. Cause I, I, at this point I'm 100% aboard on a, aboard this train, yep. you know, like I, I, I want to see everything this person makes from now on. I hope she gets, I will see, I will see any film you make. Yeah. I, I hope she gets a, a, a best director nomination. She's thoroughly deserved. Yeah. 100%. Um, and, and you know, like, uh, I, I, the only thing, you know, like, uh, I don't know how, 
this film, because of its, you know, its historical significance, uh, because it's dealing with race, you know, because it's dealing with, uh, issues of, of poverty and inequality and it's, it's dealing, it's got that sort of classical, uh, almost gone with the wind is scope to me, you know, right. A realistic gone with the wind. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you could argue, this is a phrase you've used before is Oscar bait, but this is not, this is not that I, I disagree with that term most of the time. And I, I, I fully disagree with it in this case this is an important movie you know what though this isn't this film is an oscar bait uh because wow there's a lot of different reasons i don't want to get into this so late into the podcast but uh it's not oscar bait because of how it was made and where it came from i think the word you're looking for is sincerity yeah. Like, like, because yeah. when, you, when you say Oscar bait, I'm and saying the reason, there's and some insincerity somewhere you, along the way. You're, you're saying that there's like an insincerity to the, to the, what they're actually doing. Yes. And I think in this case, there's a, there's a real sincerity to the story yeah. uh, and a real sincerity to the way the, the, the con- conviction with which the story but is told. This film, uh, this film is not Oscar bait. The Oscars just happens to love the type of thing that this film is. Which is topically right, uh, and therefore that's historical, why based on a novel, yeah. showing inequality in some yeah. way. Um, I I adore this film. I hate that <laughs> that we have basically had a conversation. I appreciate that that you tried to uh, inject some, uh, some my two minor gripes. Yeah, okay, contrariness me. because I feel like we've just like sat here and sang the praises. But we but, didn't. But something. Uh, let's <laughs> let's pat ourselves in the back. Uh, something that I pride us on uh is the fact that when we do gush over a film uh we try to give reasons why that gushing is happening we don't just say (laughs) that word uh like oh it's so good it's so good we loved it so much oh we loved this scene oh i loved when that happened it's it we i try to and i knew i watched you don't do this We, we 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 don't just say that and move on we talk about okay this affected us this way this is why I think it affects. We get into arguments about why we think it affected us that yeah. way. So kudos to that. I, I respect maybe, that. That's my the, favorite kind of review. Maybe the the gushing. Even though I hate that word. The, the most delicious fruit snacks. Yeah, gushers is is that is that. Uh, this is a film that you could just miss because it's on Netflix. Yeah, you know, like don't it, miss it's, it. It's, it's accessible to every you know to most people who have a net, to everyone who has a Netflix account. You know who I'm guessing is most of our audience. Um, and you could just be like, Oh, I'm just going to, you know, it's the, there. I'll see it whenever, please watch this movie. Agreed. You should be as, you should be as impatient to see this movie as Matt is for infinity war. I agree. Like, like you should, you should make a point to sit down and watch this movie as quickly as possible. And you should be excited to see this movie. I'm psyched. I'm psyched that we did this in Ladybird back to back. Yeah, I just it's just good. It just I, makes me I, feel I, good. I, I'm gonna need a few more of these to wash the Justice League out of my mouth at this point. So uh, yeah, it's I'm weird. Gonna, I'm gonna need a few more of it's these. It's weird, uh, but I'm I'm so excited. I saw this film. So, so Jumanji ex- next week. No, <laughs> yeah. I don't know when Jumanji comes out. I'm excited that we got to talk about it. I'm excited that hopefully uh, listeners who haven't uh, thought about this movie will see it uh, and seek it out because it is extraordinary. It's an extraordinary piece of work and uh, and Netflix. Wow. You beautiful bastards. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been the only podcast about the film Mudbound. Shakir, when you aren't gushing, <laughs> gushing, wallowing in our film, uh, wallowing in our gush, in our gush, Ugh, in our God, gush of film so review, gross. Uh, where can folks find you? You can find me at www.shahirdaud, S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. If Matt, when you're listening to podcasts and you are not judging the echoness of the, or the reverberation. I always judge audio on yeah. podcasts. <laughs> I really do. Um, which you, by the way, Matt, we never, we, we don't say this enough. You do an excellent job of mixing this podcast. Oh, thanks, I, buddy. I, and, and, um, for those who don't know, Matt has actually set up a, or a recording studio and he takes a lot of time and pride in it. We have like sound bafflers on the wall here professional grade mics a mixing disc this is not just some like run-of-the-mill hokey only movie podcast junk that you just you know that someone just threw together with their iphone and there's nothing wrong yeah. with that i just i like you take pride in i your, do you take do. pride in your work and, which is and, weird because i'm not a sound guy but i've kind of inadvertently become a bit of one i think it actually has put us in a very good position uh with this podcast but matt when you are not 
paying attention to how good I sound on this podcast. Right. <laughs> Where can people find you? Whew, that's never. Uh, you can find me at Instagram at Skeletor, the number four P-R-E-Z. You can also find me on Twitter at Emperor MSK uh, and MatthewKroll.com for my life and works. Uh, two things so far that I've been working on professionally. One is a show on Facebook, Facebook Watch, called My First Time. Very funny, short-form talking head show. If you have five minutes, check out an episode. There's things about, you know, getting it on for the first time or even I can, just... I can tell you a lot about my first time. Well, it's, maybe all, we can <laughs> offline about that. Or uh, our first time getting in awful. trouble, a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> uh, also, uh, I work, I'm I'm uh, post-producing season 10 of Wild and Out yes, on MTV. Which is uh, which and I also which worked Which here worked on the open for. It looks yeah, amazing. I and uh, the open with, uh, with Fox & Co. this year. We're very yeah. happy about that. Uh, it, that premieres uh, well, the night of this recording, but it's it will be... It's actually premiering right It's premiering sick. right now. Oh, yeah, right this Woo, three minutes. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, but we're doing double pops of that, which means, uh, you know, tonight we're, there's going to be two episodes, and I think that's going to happen a couple times. Thursdays at uh, 11 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on MTV. And, of course, for a smaller project I'm doing, I'm still doing Skyrim VR at Skeletor, the number four PREZ <laughs> on Twitch. I've, uh, I've uh, joined in this. Uh, Shahir, Sven and I, my, my bard compatriot, Sven and I got in some trouble, and uh, I don't think the stream's ever going to be the same. So if you're you interested. the streams? Is that uh, well, something happened. Uh, so check that out if you're a little bit more on the nerdy variety. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody who wrote in. Everybody else still write in. Give us reviews. Do all that jazz. And, uh, yeah, we will see you uh, or you'll hear us or there'll be some sort of communication. <laughs> there'll be writing. Uh, there'll be interaction for your ears next week. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. <laughs> all right. See you later. Bye-bye.